I wanted to speak to you today around the uh, book of James. It's an, a wonderful book. It's only a short book. If you wanted to read it this week, I encourage you to. Uh, you could either read it in one sitting or you could read it chapter by chapter. And, uh, and I, I know that there's things that God has for you, especially in this season right now. James is a book where uh, essentially he says, if you're going through trials, if you're going to be bumped in some way, if uh, you're under pressure, uh, if you're suffering through something at the moment, he says, when you get bumped, how will you respond? And he unpacks it right through the book of the way that a Christian, a follower of Jesus responds. Uh, when we get bumped, uh, do we move to self-preservation? Do we move to uh, ways of um, being able to do our own thing or take control back? Or do we respond in seeing other people's needs around us and love them through what they're going through? Do you know, uh, right from the very beginning of uh, the early church, they found themselves going through trials just like what we're experiencing right now. This is not new to the church uh, of um, the last 2,000 years. In fact, some of the uh, biggest pandemics without the medical care that we have today happened uh, around their time. Uh, it's recorded that in the third century, the early church they went through one of the worst pandemics where even at one stage, 5,000 people a day were uh, dying. And it was the Christians, while every else, everybody else was uh, trying to avoid those who were sick, it was the Christians who gave themselves into situations that helped the poor, that brought food to the needy, that helped bury the dead, that attended to the sick. Uh, they weren't immune to the sickness, uh, although uh, people who recorded at the time, those who did die, said that it was amazing how many were not Christians that, um, that did pass away. But uh, the Christians themselves, they gave themselves out of love for those around them. I don't know exactly what that looks like for you today, as far as how you help your neighbor, how you help those who are... Uh, scared, who are fearful, who, who maybe even uh, don't know where the next dollar is going to come from. But I do know that the Holy Spirit will lead you. And this is what James actually helps us to understand. And so I wanted to read to you uh, James chapter 1. And in fact, in your life group, so we're going to encourage you to read through the whole chapter of James chapter 1. It's a bit of a teaser for what's right through the whole book of James. And uh, so let me start with verse 2 in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy. Just meditate on those two words, pure joy, just for a moment. Just consider that in your own thinking. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that 
uh, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I love this opening verse in James or these opening ideas from James. Firstly, consider it pure joy. And then he goes on, let it persevere. Let your uh, perseverance in that testing through your faith. May your, your faith persevere all the way until it bears fruit. All the way until there's maturity. And, and there's this sense of a growing up. Maturity, when you think of your children, uh, as they grow, you want to grow them as parents into mature young adults who are fully ready to tackle the world themselves. And in the same way, in your trials, faith is being produced. Faith and perseverance leads you into full maturity, ready for what you're about to face next. Uh, you become richer in faith and receiving uh, everything from heaven as a result of standing firm. Then James, he goes on to say uh, in verse 9, Believers in humble circumstances, in other words, those who are poor, those who don't have many options, they ought to take pride in their high position. And he goes on to say those who are rich uh, ought to humble themselves uh, because they are in a low position. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Later on in chapter 2, James says, those who are poor are rich in faith. There's something about being around those who are in need, or if you're in need yourself and you find yourself in humble circumstances, consider it pure joy. Understand that you're actually at the best place right now. It's where your faith becomes the richest. If you're not going through those circumstances, can I encourage you, don't just hide away from people. Get alongside those who are going through difficult circumstances because you're going to learn something in that moment. You're going to learn something from their rich faith. He says, consider it pure joy. I love uh, listening to Graham Cook. I haven't listened to him for, for a little while, but I remember him saying about this particular passage, he says, imagine coming up to your friend and you've just realized you've got a trial that you're facing. You've, you've just come into a circumstance that's really thrown you. And you come up to your friend and like, friend, you've got to hear what has just happened. It is so amazing. I've got a trial. I've just been given a trial. And your friend says, no way. That is so awesome. I want a trial too. Why didn't I get one? Why, why would you have such joy around trials? Well, Graham Cook, he, he puts it that way to kind of help us to get a mind shift because we don't always see trials that way. And James does too. He says, consider it pure joy. Why is there such joy around our trials? Because there's maturity from heaven coming. There's maturity that is going to rise you up to things you, you, you did not have before. Your faith is going to grow if you'll let it. If you don't go through the whole steps of allowing it to mature, then you're not going to see that growth. But James says it is so worth the wait. Listen, in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This word, the crown of life, 
uh, is kind of a picture of of what Jesus would give us when he returns to say, well done, you have persevered, you took a hold of faith. It's like running the race and receiving a crown. In fact, if we were to look at other passages where we uh, hear from uh, how other people talk about this crown, Paul talks about it as uh, the crown of righteousness when he talks to Timothy. Peter talks about it as the crown of glory. And I love the, the different imagery that they're trying to produce here. Paul speaks of it when he's talking to Timothy. He says, it's like competing in the Olympics. An athlete, when they're competing, they give everything into their training. They have a strict diet. They uh, work on the uh, strengthening of muscles for that particular kind of sport that they're about to um, compete in and they meditate on winning. Their whole focus is around the finish line. Their whole, their whole focus is around why uh, the glory uh, behind winning. And so they'll meditate even. Uh, sports psychologists will, uh, talk to, um, will talk to us around about the power of meditating on uh, on scoring that goal or winning that race and and so this is what a, a an athlete will do all of their focus goes into competing and finishing well so paul says uh, run the race well in order to get the victor's crown run the race well and uh, similarly in the olympics which has just been postponed for another 12 months but in the olympics people they race in order to get the gold medal or the silver medal or the bronze medal but they want the gold medal they're racing in order to get that and their whole focus you need to hear this this is so important uh, because uh, when it comes to persevering it has this very same idea in mind that we're running the race and uh, I don't know if you saw but Liz was just running behind me I didn't see her I knew that she was going to do it and you can see that we're here on a stadium and a, and a, a sports field. And we, we decided to film here today for this very reason. So that you would actually uh, think and get the creative juices going of what Paul actually meant by running the race in faith. So I want to ask you kids, if you're still watching, uh, and families, what sport would you like, if you, were to, if you were to compete in the Olympics, which event would you most like to actually compete in. I know for me, uh, I absolutely love watching the 100 meter uh, run. And I, I wait for it. It's normally the um, one of the crowning moments of the outdoor events. And I love seeing uh, the guys and just seeing, are they gonna beat the world record? Do you know, the last world record is held by Usain Bolt. I think it's, I wrote it down here, 9.58 seconds. Uh, that he runs the 100 meters in. I know uh, only a few years back uh, for our kids when they're in primary school, they had like a, a dad dash uh, on, the, um, on the athletics day. And they said for any dads who want to compete, we're going to do the 100 meter race. And I was thinking, now at this stage, I was around about 40 years old and I'm thinking, I I'm going to win this. I think I've still got it in me. Uh, I hadn't run for over 10 years uh, in a 100 meter uh, sprint, but I thought I'm going to give this a go. And so we lined up 
and I had I was imagining winning. I was imagining going to the, uh, you know, hitting the ribbon first and getting the gold medal. I had all that flashing through my head, and then all of a sudden the gun went, and we we burst out with all of our strength, and there's around about eight of us dads, and we're running down the hundred meter dash and. Uh, Within around 10 meters, all of a sudden, I realized my mental idea of winning, I'm way off. I am so unfit. There's no way. I don't even know if I'm going to finish the 100 meters. Then my thoughts turned from winning to don't embarrass yourself by not finishing. And then I saw people as they, the guys who were next to me at the start, started to slowly move away from me. And everything inside of me was thinking I know I can do this but my body won't do it I can't you see I hadn't done any of the training I hadn't done any of the uh, I hadn't had any practice in doing this I wasn't an athlete and I really competed poorly on that particular day but what what's a field event or what event might you do if you were to uh, enter into the Olympics maybe it's diving maybe it's uh, the 100 meter dash maybe it's the pole vault over the the top of uh you know the the vault and and the the high mark where they jump over maybe it's synchronized swimming i mean who who decides to do that but anyway whatever your event might be uh what event might it be paul uses this idea this imagination to say your faith must also work in the times of trials to push through now, what happens for an athlete? What happens for, you see, last week we talked about the picture of uh, a birth, that when, when a mother is about to give birth, her whole focus is not necessarily on the pain, although she can be very conscious about the pain, but her whole focus is the delivery. Where's your focus at? And it's a great question in terms of an athlete, their focus is driven towards the end goal. Our focus needs to be driven. Jesus is returning. One day we'll have the crown of glory, the crown of righteousness, the crown uh, of, um, of victory placed on us from Jesus himself. One day we'll have our whole new bodies. One day uh, when Jesus returns, the world will be turned upside down from what we know to uh, being completely under the King of Kings, where every knee bows and every heart confesses that Jesus is Lord. One day that's coming, and we want to be ready for that. And during times of trials, let's not get stuck on the midst of what we're in, but let's look forward to what is ours in Jesus' name. So how do we respond in the midst of trial? It, it's part of how we persevere when we actually turn to self-interest, when we get bumped and we realize something's in us that we hadn't realized, now's the time to recognize and humbly to return to Jesus at the center, to Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, would you guide me to live out my life in a way that is actually producing fruit from heaven in this place? This is what matters in the moment of trial in the way that we respond to others. Listen to verse 21 through to 25. Uh, James says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, 
and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently, and remember this mirror is a similar kind of passage we find in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Whoever looks intently, just underline that in your thinking, those words. Whoever looks intently, remember the runner, remember the uh, seeing Liz running behind me and, uh, and what it means to actually have your focus on the end goal. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. This perfect law, it's not the law of Moses. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not the Bible. Although you'll find threads of the perfect law through it. But later on in chapter 2, he unpacks what the perfect law is. And he also uses the term the royal law or the royal, uh, you might have heard the golden rule uh, used in that term, and which is simply to love one another as we love ourselves. This word that he speaks of is the same, uh, the same perfect law. This word that he speaks of is all about loving one another. If you had time, which we don't this morning, you could go through 2 Peter chapter 1 and see the outline, and even Galatians chapter 5, you can see the outline of when we put ourselves into stead with the Holy Spirit and keep in step with Him, He produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit of love, joy, peace, etc. And in 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, He goes on to use very similar language. And at the very end, he says, if you want to be effective, if you want to produce fruit, then uh, intently look at these things. So those who intently look at, who desire the things of the Spirit, who desire to love one another, they are the ones who finish well. They are the ones who produce fruit, who see um, heaven come and and, uh, bear fruit right there, in the midst. It means answered prayers. Later on in chapter 4 of James, he talks about uh, prayers that are lifeless and prayers that are dynamic. And the prayers that are dynamic come from people who humbly give themselves to Holy Spirit. And they have their, their focus intently on what the Holy Spirit desires. Can I encourage you in this season to have your focus intently on the Holy Spirit? And his love for not just you, but his love for one another and how he has in mind for you uh, to love others. Last week, and I mentioned this on a devotional during this week, uh, last week, just uh, God took me back to the question, what is most important for us as a church in this changing environment? The things that I used to give my time to or the things that, that normally took up Uh, my head space. Sometimes it can be easy to get your head around just the stage at the Valentine Hall. And I felt like God said, Steve, you know this. You know what the the center stage is. It's not the hall. It's love for one another. This has always been my center stage. Do you know, we don't have to have a center stage at a hall for us to be able to 
uh, be the center stage for Jesus where everyone sees the center stage of his love for one another. I want to encourage you this week, choose to actually be in step with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the last thing I wanted to finish uh, in this sermon um, with you is in James chapter 2, verse 26. And James goes on to talk about faith um, is, uh, is simply not faith if it doesn't have the backup of Holy Spirit, if it doesn't have the backup of life in deeds uh, with one another. And at the very end, he, he summarizes it by saying this, uh, verse 26, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Your faith, when you said yes to Jesus, if you were uh, either you grew up in a Christian home or uh, you, you could say maybe I've always been a Christian or maybe you were christened into the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church or, uh, and it's just been always what you've known but you've never really uh, thought through what it means to actually um, put your faith into action. And in fact, for some people, uh, they have the tag or they could tick the box Christian, but in every other way, they live just like their neighbor who's not a Christian and their life is no different. Listen, our life was not meant to be that way in Jesus. Just like the body without the spirit is dead, there are people with the, the, the body or the, the tag Christian, but their body is dead. It's, it's like going into a church where everybody all of a sudden becomes unconscious and they're streamed all over the floor and they just become a dead weight and something to walk over and uh, they're no use to anybody. But when somebody has the deeds of the Holy Spirit, the, the faith to push through in perseverance, to love one another when it seems so difficult to love, to forgive someone when it seems so difficult to forgive, all of a sudden there's the Spirit in the body. There's faith comes alive. There's power uh, in the name of Jesus. And it becomes evident. It's for you. It's for me. It's for our church. Our community needs to see it.